One of the great truths about God is that his greatest desire is to be in a covenant relationship with all people. Those who willingly choose to surrender to him and his will come uh, under the shadow of his wings and experience his presence. In other words, God will protect those doing his will. Now, the biggest question, therefore, for God's people to ask is, what is God's will for us? Both as a local church and as part of his universal church. Also, within a local church, each person has a task to do according to God's will. So that as his people work together under his guidance, his kingdom on earth grows. Now with that generality, our chapter in Nehemiah this morning illustrates all of the above, all that's in there. Okay, first of all, Nehemiah guided and directed the remnant of God's people living in Jerusalem and its suburbs, so to speak, to complete the rebuilding of the wall that had been in ruins for a little over 90 years. Now, just to get a scope of the project, I skipped chapter 3 because we just can't relate to it, okay, unless we have a map and even then, okay. But according to that chapter, there were 10 gates in the wall that was around the city. And to just get an idea of the magnitude of this work all done by hand, the circumference of the wall was approximately one and a half miles, It all needed to be rebuilt. You can think of Jerusalem as an oval or perhaps an egg, a hard-boiled egg balanced on its skinnier end. And the dimensions were roughly three-eighths of a mile east to west, and except for the bottom, that was pretty constant. But with the angles the highest northwest point was about five-eighths of a mile. So that gives you an idea. And just one little extra thing that I discovered this week is in the Hebrew Bible, our passage is the entirety of chapter 4 and only chapter 4. So as a little trivia event, when it was translated into Greek, the rabbis actually took the end of chapter 3 and put it at the beginning of chapter 4, which was the basis for our English Bible. So just FYI, we're studying chapter 4 as a unit. And what we will discover as we go deeper is Nehemiah's skill as a leader who organizes people to do different tasks, okay, jobs, And he encourages all God's people 
to trust in the God who always keeps his word. He does what he says. And then in our portion of Mark's gospel, we will see the power of God over one of the most fearsome events of creation, namely a raging storm which could do harm to people. All right, let's look at the details now. The beginning, the introduction to Nehemiah's narration, and, and I think Nehemiah actually dictated this to somebody. Their enemies are threatening the Jews who are working on the Jerusalem wall. Then the Jews, in their weakness, pray. They pray to God in their weakness. And then Nehemiah conscripts every Jew within the city limits and beyond and encourages them to trust Adonai. So because the Jews are making progress, and some of that's in chapter 3 on the wall, their enemies threaten them, but they pray to God and set guards after confessing their inability. There's a lot of truths here that universally apply and can apply to us. So let's go through the approximation of what Nehemiah said and what it means. When the enemies of the Jews heard of the restoration of the walls, that what was broken down was being rebuilt, their anger was great. Then they conspired to fight Jerusalem to disturb it, okay? Now, this word restoration having to do with an inanimate object, whenever it's applied to people, the translation is healing. So I'm going to work with that wordplay and synonyms, and, and I'm just conjecting. I'm not saying this is the fact, but just maybe, perhaps, the Holy Spirit wanted God's people to know that now the walls are being restored to protect them physically, that their hearts might be healed and they would be closer to him spiritually. Now, we got a laundry list of enemies. Arabs, we know they were just east of um, Israel and the promised land in David's kingdom. Now, Tobiah was an Ammonite, and then we also hear the people from Ammon, and Sambalat was a Moabite, or Moab. They were all descended from Lot, and you can look it up in Genesis. And Ashdod was one of five Philistine cities. There were five powerful Philistine cities that only under David really submitted to God's will that Israel control them. Right now, at this time, with a remnant, they were horrible enemies. So Nehemiah continues, and and here is the key. We prayed to our God. Then we set a guard against them 24 hours before them. So again, Nehemiah is a book of prayer, individual and corporate. The community prayed to God together, and then they acted. They acted um, to protect themselves. Now there's a Latin phrase, and I ran it by Debbie this morning, and this first word's in many languages, ora et labora, translated into English, pray and work. 
This describes their belief that it is God's will to answer their prayer to rebuild God's wall. And the truth that I got out of this chapter this morning is God protects people who do his will. Then he continues and narrates a little poem prayer where the Jews say that their own strength, in their own strength only, they are powerless to succeed. And what I get out of this is something we all need. Humble self-awareness. They consider the accumulation of the rubbish fine as dust. And I looked up this rare word in a lexicon. Over the years that they were uh, in Babylon, 70 plus 90 since then, 150 years, there was nothing left. Nothing left to build with. And so um, they feel totally insufficient in themselves. That's why they're praying. Therefore, they need God, God to whom they have just prayed. And from here, things begin to change. And what happens is even though the Jews are afraid, Nehemiah conscripts every single one and encourages them all that the fearsome Lord will fight for them. And now here's something like really heavy, and I learned this in detail the first time this week. Then our enemies said they will not know and they will not see until we will come in the midst of them to kill them and make the work to cease. And then the Jews came, those living near them, and then they said to us ten times from all the places which you will return They are upon us. So the enemies of the Jews were speaking to themselves about a surprise attack on the Jews who were trying to rebuild the walls from inside to kill them so that the wall would not be completed. However, there were many Jews, more Jews than were inside the walls, outside of the walls. And God enabled them to overhear what the plans were and then go and tell the rebuilders of this threat. So now we know how they found out and why they prayed. Continuing then, I, meaning Nehemiah, made to stand in the low places behind the wall the people to their families with their swords, spears, and bows. Then I looked and rose and said to the nobles, the rulers, and the rest of the people, you all will not be afraid of them. Adonai, great and to be feared, you all must remember and you all must fight for your brothers, sons, daughters, wives, and homes. So first of all, Nehemiah is encouraging them. How does he do this? He directs all the people, men, women, and children. I never realized this, and some commentators were just floored by this. You know, imagine a two-year-old standing in a gap of a wall with enemies all around him. But that's what's happening here. But there would be so many of them in the gaps. They would be seen by their enemies. So when their enemies see that men, women, and children are all fully armed, 
they will think twice. And if you think about this, this is what a good ruler does. He seeks to empower the people. Actually, I'm going to call him a leader, not a rule, because Nehemiah leads by example. And then his words are strong and powerful. He commands the people to remember Adonai as great in causing all to fear him. That would be Jew and non-Jew so that they will not fear their enemies, but rather fight by faith that he will protect them as they do his will. And the reality is God does protect people who do his will. And then the rest of Nehemiah is God delivering the Jews, working under Nehemiah, and then we'll look at Jesus calming a storm in response to his disciples' panic. But first, let's finish our chapter. God frustrates the enemies of the Jews, and then Nehemiah creates three groups of workers telling them God will fight for them. And then they defend Jerusalem. So here is is a big turning point. He's encouraged them to totally have faith in the awesome Lord. And then he says, when our enemies heard that it was made known to us, notice the passive, and then God had frustrated their plan, then we all return to the wall, each to his own work. I've learned this phrase from seminary and beyond. It's called the divine passive. What does that mean? God acts and we receive. Now, Nehemiah did not come out and say, God made this known to us. See, God is always left out, and unbelievers read that, and they miss that God is in there. But their prayer is now fully answered, as even the enemies of the Jews knew that the God of the Jews has protected them by spoiling their plan of a surprise attack. Knowing this now, the Jews can fully devote themselves to doing God's will to complete the work on God's wall. And we'll see more about this three weeks from today. But God protects people who do his will. And then by really digging in, for the first time I understood what Nehemiah did here, and it's just ingenious management. He assigned half of his men to construction and half to armed service as fully armed soldiers. And he had the full support of all the rulers under him. He was the governor. Then among the builders, those carrying the materials did so with one hand for the materials and the other holding a weapon. But those actually doing the building of the wall themselves, they worked with two hands and their sword in a sheath at their side. And then we're told Nehemiah's trumpeter was beside them. So let's just draw this out a little bit. He made half of the man a full-time defense 
a full-time defense for the people against any attack. And then the other half were working on the wall. But among the wall builders, he made two halves again, or a quarter of the whole. Half carried the materials and a sword. So, you know, picture this. They must have been the strongest of them all. Because with one hand, they're carrying a load of materials, and with the other hand, they're carrying a sword. And then the other half, the skilled workers actually did the construction with two hands. But should the enemy attack, their swords were right at their side to draw them. And then we're told Nehemiah watched it all. So he was probably wandering around, doing circuits, eyes open. His trumpeter was right at his side to single the, signal the men with an appropriate message to whatever might be happening. Continuing then, I, Nehemiah, said to the nobles, rulers, and the rest of the people, the work, great and wide, and we are being separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you all hear the sound of the trumpet, there you will be gathered to us. Bottom line, our God will fight for us. So, again, I told you about the circumference and the height and the width and all that was going on. And to put it in terms that maybe a nation that watches football would understand, the height was a little over 900 yards and the width was a little under 900 yards. So they could not all hear or see if an attack happened far away from them. But the trumpet would sound so they could all gather at the place of attack. Okay, that's the human level. But most importantly, their God would do the ultimate fighting that they needed to be delivered. He would do everything to make sure they completed the work he gave them according to his will. God always protects his people who do his will. And then Nehemiah concludes, and and this is powerful and kind of humbling. So we labored, half fully armed, from before the sunrise to after the sunset. And also at that time, I said, all the people will spend the night in Jerusalem to be for us guards at night and workers in the day. And neither I, nor my brothers, nor my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us taking off our clothes, and each had his weapon even going to water. So, The soldiers were guarding more than 12 hours. You know, I've seen sunrises before. Uh, I've stayed out late and come home very early in the morning. And at least an hour before the sunrise, you can see the sky getting very gray, and you can begin to discern shapes better. That's when they actually went into action. And then if you've ever seen a beautiful sunset, It's gray for about an hour, and finally it gets black enough that the stars pop out one by one. They did over a 14-hour shift of guarding people. And then he said in modern lingo, okay, that's anachronism, no more commuting. 
all those ones who were more than the ones in the city, he said, you're all working on the wall. You're all going to sleep in the city. It will be much, much better. So during this home stretch of the rebuilding, he did not allow them to leave the city so that they could be more productive and get done quicker. And they slept fully clothed, even in their armor. I would not like to be among that group of people 52 days, um, one on top of another working in the heat. And they took their weapons even on water breaks. Okay, that's the end of this chapter. But here's the bottom line, people. When we consider all that God did through these people and what they voluntarily did following Nehemiah, as we do God's will in our lives... Let us be willing to go the extra mile to serve God in the best way possible in order to give him all that he desires from us. And we need to pray to be sure to discern what that is. And now let's go to the portion of Mark. And as I thought about this this morning, this gospel account is the flip side of Nehemiah, humanly speaking, but the same God, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus tells his disciples to cross the sea, but as a great storm comes, he's sleeping. Then the disciples panic, so he calms the sea, questions their faith, and they fear him. So let's take a, a he, that's Jesus, verse 34, you can look up. That day, having become late, said to them, let us pass over to the other side. Having sent the crowd away, they, the disciples, are taking him, even as he was being in the ship, but also little ships with him. Well, we got a whole lot of details, but let's not bury the lead. All that counts here is Jesus said, we're going to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, period. Clearly stated, no doubt about it. But then we're told, and it happened. A great storm of wind and the waves were beating against the ship. So now the ship was being filled with water and he was being in the stern sleeping. And they are awakening him and saying to him, teacher, not of concern to thee that we are perishing. So, you've probably heard and read there's just big storms happen on the Sea of Galilee. It's a little shallow bowl with mountains all around it, and storms were quite common. Every one of these fishermen had seen storms. But this was above and beyond the worst storm they had ever seen, and we're told while Jesus is sleeping from exhaustion, these excessively high waves are filling the ship enough that it looks like for sure it's going to sink. So the disciples rouse him from his sleep. The severity of the squall was more than they ever experienced, and they were afraid they would die or perish. But then we're told, having been awakened, he rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Thou must be quiet. Thou must be put to silence. Active and passive commands. And the wind just ceased. 
and the sea became calm, great, or greatly. Now, many English words were used here to accurately translate the two words in the original language of command. Merely two words, but these two words from the creator of the wind and the waves were powerful, powerful. Jesus cares for his disciples even in a storm. That's what this all illustrates. Now, after he had rescued them, he had delivered them, he already told them they were going to go to the other side. Why panic? Didn't they believe him? And he said to him, why cowardly you all are being, using a very rare word that people translate simply. And then he says, not yet. You all are having faith. So with this double rebuke, he rebukes them because first their fear made them cowards and then they did not believe his earlier statement that they were going to cross the sea, that they were going to get to the other side. So obviously they were stung by this. And Mark says, probably right from the mouth of Peter, he received this. And they were made afraid, fear great. And they were saying to one another, what thus this one is being that even the wind and the sea are listening to him. There's really a triple fear here. There's three strong words, all centered around fear and not just ordinary fear, but great fear. Fear. But this great fear of Jesus, people, and I think we've lost it in the church today. This is the basis of genuine faith. How can you have faith in a wimp, you know? Jesus who loves everybody and is a kindly grandfather. No, this is the proper response to him because this genuine faith in an awesome God who loves us enough to send his son to die for us and live again that we can be reconciled to him is everything. What's it going to take to shock us into an awesome faith in an awesome God? And even the wind in the sea of a severe storm, they heard Jesus, that's literally the word, but they heard him in such a way, they submitted to him in obedience. So we have hearts and minds and wills. What's stopping us from humbly obeying Jesus Christ? So let me wrap this up. When the enemies of the Jews saw the success they were having in rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, these enemies threatened them with death. But they prayed to God in their weakness, as Nehemiah conscripts every Jew and encourages them to trust Adonai. And I need to point out to you that Jesus is indeed Adonai in the flesh. The Adonai who Nehemiah had said is great and to be feared because he will fight for his people. So they do trust Adonai, these Jews under Nehemiah, and God delivers them to complete his work. And then they follow Nehemiah in his diligence and vigilance. But 500 years later, 
Jesus cared for his panicked disciples who didn't have enough faith by calming the storm. And then he chastised them for their lack of faith. But then they greatly feared him and he was building their faith all the time he was with them. God protects his people who do his will.